Now you're listening to Fantastic Formosa with John Abrams in Taipei. Welcome back to Fantastic Formosa for another episode with John Abrams. Once again, we have uh, uh, this great guest, uh, Scott Summers from Canada. Uh, he has a master's degree in sociology in Canada. What, what school did you go to again? I went to Queen's University in Kingston. Okay. All right. And before that, you got your bachelor's where? Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. Are they close to each other in, in location? No, they're on the other, uh, they're across Canada from each other. See, from uh, Americans don't know anything about Canada. We know it's north. Yeah, uh, Americans are completely ignorant of every place besides America. Um, you know, uh, in fact, I didn't even know that the U.S. had invaded Canada at one time and literally got lost. And had to turn around and come back because we didn't know where we were. <laughs> well, that expedition was, was led by Benedict Arnold. Oh, well, that explains a lot. Wasn't he hung? Yeah. Or, uh, for, uh, or uh, yes, uh, and the, didn't the British Army go down to Washington after that and burnt down the White House? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's why it's white because originally it was a different color. And uh, instead of rebuilding some of it, they just painted the black charcoal uh, embers white uh, to cover up the that's uh, that's a fixer upper in America so that's why it's the White House ironically thanks to the British Army in Canada that came down and uh, did that uh, but it is embarrassing that we went up there and got lost and had to turn around and go back um, that's one of the worst um, US military campaigns uh, ever um, but uh, I'm sure that Canada uh, you guys make a lot of jokes about Americans uh, anything of interest uh, oh um, I mean, I, I haven't lived in Canada for, for a long time, and, and I don't know how Canadians talk ab about the U.S. Uh, to, to me, these days, uh, there, there's a lot more contact between Canada and the U.S. than when I grew up there. Right. And, and uh, it's, I, I don't, it's more difficult to get across the border now, of course. Really? Yeah. Um, I thought there were just like roads that, you know, in the woods that you could just drive across and, you know, you didn't even know you were in Canada or U.S. Or there, are, there are places like that. But, I mean, the major border crossings, when, mm. when I was young, we could just uh, walk across. I've walked across the border. Okay. Um, now you have to show a passport. Really? Yeah. Just to go across to the U.S. Yep. from Canada? Yeah. Because I had friends that went to school in New York, um, Syracuse, yeah. and they would just drive across the border to go drinking for that I, night, have I've a beer. I've walked across that border crossing uh, yeah, to, okay. to buy beer, and then we, when I was at grad school, because that, that's near Queen's University. Right. So we, walk, we would go across the border to buy beer because it was cheaper. Wasn't there like gasoline issues? People would buy cheaper gas across the border and just... Well, yeah. Yeah, a big well, problem. Um, but, but it's different now. It's more difficult to get across the border, and uh, people get refused uh, permission to enter now. Really? Yeah. Wow, that seems a little rude. Canada is supposed to be really nice. People, people are Canadian nice. We used to call them. Uh, is that still true? Or I, I, I feel a difference between the the officials at the at the border. The Canadian officials are more friendly. Than right. Than, than the, the Americans on the other side, yeah, yeah. wanting to search everything in your car, maybe, or yeah, lo looking for a reason not to let you in. Mm. 
Okay. Um, yeah, we. Uh, it's kind of the opposite, I think, in the border in the south, uh, where they, everyone gets across. Oh, uh, yeah. What a immigration crisis, apparently, in the U.S. I don't know exactly what's going on. Oh. But, uh, yeah, many of our listeners live in uh, Southeast Asia and, and other places, and uh, they're interested in maybe going to school here and studying for a degree. And you have a Ph.D. here, right? I, I have a Ph.D. from a Taiwan uh, university, yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, what school did you go to? I went to uh, National Taiwan Normal University. Okay. And that's called uh, Shida, right? Yeah, that's that, what we that's call Shida. it uh, locally. Yeah. And uh, that's a Second biggest school, right, I think? Well, it's the leading school of education in Taiwan. Right, okay. And you got your PhD in what subject? Educational psychology. Okay, wow, that's interesting. Sounds like brainwashing, Uh, (laughs) you know, psychology and education. Some people say that about schools. Well, yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I think that uh, it was at George Orwell, the legendary writer uh, who wrote 1984, said that all art was propaganda. Uh, I think he's correct on that one. Um, But uh, if you don't know George Orwell, please read him. A 1984 great book, Animal Farm, great book. Um, Anyway, you studied education. How long did it take you to get your PhD? Well, it took me seven years. That that was a little bit longer than most students because I I was working at the time. Hmm, seven years. And uh, that is how many hours? 20 hours total to get a PhD in classwork or? Well, a PhD in Taiwan is is, uh, a lot more work than you typically see in in an American or Canadian school. We we took more courses than uh, you you typically see in the West. And uh, the the qualifying examination system here is is quite uh, intensive. so I, I, it's not entirely comparable to a, a Western PhD um, because of that. The, the, the dissertation that we presented is uh, uh, it's organized a little, a little bit differently than, than you'd get in an American school. Mm. Well, PhDs in America, they have coursework. Yeah. And normally, what is that in America normally for coursework? That means you're in a classroom, right? Yeah. That's what? 20 hours, maybe? Yeah, well, I had 30 hours of coursework. Normally in America or Canada, isn't that correct? And here it's what? Um, well, my program was 30, 30 hours of coursework, so there's a lot of courses. Mm, mm. Uh, and uh, in educational psychology, we had to take uh, courses in um, a broad range of uh, uh, covering the entire field. So even even if I'm not doing research in a particular thing, they, they would make everybody take courses in, in something unrelated to what they're studying. So this is sort of uh, what we call um, uh, multidiscipline studies, right? When they make you take other subjects that you wouldn't, multidisciplinary studies, well, maybe. Or a co- comprehensive. It's, it's mm. a comprehensive review of, the, of the, uh, everything related to the field. Mm. Interesting. Why do they do that? Just to give you an option? Maybe you change your mind and think maybe this is an interesting area to go into? or. Okay. I think it's historically how, how uh, Taiwan feels uh, about the education of a, of a professor. Mm. A professor should should not necessarily be specialized; that uh, they should have a, a much broader understanding of their field. Mm. And uh, I, 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 it's a lot of extra work, and at the time you're not happy about it. But looking back on it, I'm I'm glad that they made us do that. The um, 
Yeah, in America, I thought about getting a PhD, but people were coming back to me saying, well, you know, they make you teach. You know, you have to teach uh, freshmen and sophomore yeah. these what we call 101 classes. Yeah. And you spend most of your time uh, doing homework, or not doing homework, grading homework for, for, for kids. I did a little, little bit of that for my master's degree, and I could see how professors, uh, tenured professors, were taking advantage of graduate students in some ways. Did you do anything like that while you were here? No, no. When when I was a master's student, I had to do that. I had to right. grade papers for my professor, but we we don't do that here. Uh, the Taiwanese graduate students don't do that here. Wow, there's no uh, what we call graduate assistantships, or that's what we called it in 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 U.S. Yeah. You had to work for your you know you get paid actually a very little amount, but you do get some. You don't have to pay uh, tuition sometimes on on these programs if you do that. Well, the tuition here is much lower than we're right. used to, and and the result of that is uh, students don't necessarily have to work. Some students might work outside the school, mm. uh, but there's no uh, like I was a teaching assistant in when I did my master's degree. TA, there. yeah, mm. I was a TA. There, there's nothing like that here. I hated it. Uh, I really did. And for my master's program, I had to uh, grade papers and teach uh, a one-on-one class, and. Uh, I, I felt the pain that the uh, you know that the, the students would just go to sleep in class and it was just like oh my god this this is something that uh, I understand now why I don't want to be a teacher or professor uh, uh, and you can't do anything about it in America but here obviously what happens if someone falls asleep in class well well quite. I, I'd say it's it's not that students are necessarily paying more attention in class. Mm. <clears throat> But um, think things are organized a, a little bit differently. Um, the school I went to is a top school, and, and students are expected to do a, a lot of independent work. And there, there might be a class where you would just show up for the first class, and the teacher has a, a, a lot of work. And in fact, in one class, she gave us all of the work and said she was going to leave, and we had to sort it out between us. And mm. then we would uh, come to the different classes and present the work that we had prepared for. Oh so we, we basically did everything. Their, their job was to present us with the material that they felt we should master. Okay. And we had to organize it ourselves. Mm. And uh, that, that class was a little bit more open, a little bit more liberal mm. than a lot of other classes. But that, that was sort of the, more the direction of my education here. Your PhD program, did they have something called lab? Uh, we had to do lab work, and that means, I guess you take a student and you practice uh, your technique, or uh, you know, understand lab work, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know how to describe it exactly to my listeners, but some of these programs require you to actually practice what you learn. Um, in in my program, we we didn't have anything like that. There there's a, another program in in. Uh, my department, uh, counseling psychology, mm. and they, the students in that program, had to uh, do practicums in counseling centers or schools or prisons where they would be counselors. You know, in in my part of the program, we we didn't have to do that. I think that's helpful, though. If you uh, you know, if you're going to study this, and they send you to a prison to, you know, in America to not be in prison, but to to uh, learn from how to educate people in these environments, difficult environments, like a, a prison or uh, a school system that has a high failure rate, for example. 
um, impoverished students in poor neighborhoods, maybe. That would be an interesting way. That would be called lab work, I suppose, right? Do you have to have a teaching certificate like in the U.S. to teach high school? You do here, right, to teach high school, but not college. No. For for public schools, um, you have to be uh, you, have, you have to be certified by the Ministry of Education. But for for private schools, private high schools, they would have uh, a different system of recruiting teachers. It would be the same in in, in the U.S. Private right. high schools would have another another uh, equivalent standard. Hmm. Uh, Post secondary teachers have a different system of uh, licensing here. Hmm. Post secondary is what exactly for my listeners? Well, universities and colleges. Right. Okay. Um, but we, we're licensed by the Ministry of Education to be professors. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So, you did you have to take a special test just to get that for a professorship? Well, we're or? we're examined. We we have to present documents to the ministry, and they they determine if we're qualified. And I, I've been issued a license. I have a I have a, a, a actual uh, certificate from the Ministry of Education that that. Uh, gives me permission to be employed as a, as a professor. Interesting. In the U.S., it's completely different. Yeah. Uh, yes, you do have to have an edu- state education certificate to teach in uh, public, or, uh, schools like high school or elementary school. But in universities, no, you normally have to have a Ph.D. And, um, and what's happening in the U.S. is there's uh, a big fight over tenure. Now, tenure, do you have tenure here? There's permanent full-time employment, so that that would be the equivalent of tenure. I, I have tenure. Great. There, there are other professors who aren't tenured. Now they don't. They're in. Their risk is they could get fired or laid off or something, right? I guess so. I I don't know that that's ever happened, mm. but mm. but I guess legally it could. Mm. In America, tenure sort of like gives you a certain. Uh, it protects you from being fired, I think, yeah. at least at some level, unless you really go over, you know, over the ledge. Uh, and uh, uh, there's a big fight I, or debate, I suppose, in the U.S. over tenure, whether they should just get rid of it and motivate their teachers. Because after a while, I noticed, at least when I was in university, that tenured professors seem to be um, – talking about everything but the subject that they were teaching. <laughs> I would get lectured about every subject beyond uh, psychology, for example, uh, their family problems. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Their cars broken down, you know, yeah. for, a, for an hour. I would like, where are we in the book? You know, I'd stare at them like, I just spent $300 for this class and I, I'm not getting anything out of it. And uh, there's nothing we could really do about it. Uh, but here, no, you have to teach. You have to go into the room and provide materials and, and challenge your students, right? Well, I personally ha- have had a very good experience here mm. with, with schools. Um, <clears throat> I haven't had any of the problems that you're talking about. Um, Did you I, have them in Canada when you were going to school? Um, I, I don't remember. I, I thought I had a good education in Canada, and mm. I, I was happy with that. Um, I, but I, I, I do think the standard of professionalism I've experienced here is higher than Canada. Right. Um, there, there's there's a stronger commitment to education here. Mm. There's a longer tradition of education here that that professors feel professors and teachers feel that they're part of. I was told somewhere that, you know, you did teach in Japan for a while, right? Yes, I've taught in Japan. I was told by someone, I don't I don't know if it's true or not, but th- that students in Japan uh, work so hard to graduate high school that they basically party through, J- 
to a university. Is that true? Uh, I, they just relax and say, we've, we've already mastered almost every subject in the book. Uh, we take our tests and then we party. Is that is that true in Japan? Well, well I, I don't know if, if getting through high school in Japan is any, any less difficult than it is in, say, in Korea or, or in Taiwan. Mm. Um, and so... We don't say that about high school students here. When when, when I was in Japan, it, it wasn't my experience that that students graduated from high school and just went crazy. Mm. Um, I, I I don't know, but I, that's something I heard that that you know we always used to talk about the education. Like a Japanese high school degree was equal back in the 1970s and 80s to an American college degree. That was sort of the you know, we were sort of being humiliated by the level of educational performance in the Asian schools. And I think that's still true today in America. Uh, we still uh, are being humiliated by Asian, um, I don't know if it's Confucius uh, values of education. Would you call it that? Or you're the sociologist. There would be some of that. I mean, the, the, the governments here are deeply committed to education as as part of economic development mm. and 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 parents and teachers feel a strong commitment to the history here mm. and you can really feel it right and uh, and it, it shows mm. it shows the mere fact they have used bookstores everywhere here yeah uh, you don't see used bookstores even bookstores in America anymore yeah. uh, you'll go to a used bookstore in Taiwan and people they're there are 30 or 40 people in a used bookstore sitting around reading books and talking. These are adults and, and young people, and it's just amazing. Uh, it's not even a library, and they're in there. Um, well, there, there, but before there were, uh, uh, before the, the internet and Netflix, there were all these uh, comic book stores where, where children would come and rent right. comic books. Yeah, yeah. Very strong tradition. What happened of, to those? Well, they got uh, replaced by the internet. Right. Obviously. These were the manga-style Japanese comics that are so yeah. popular here. Wow, just amazing. Well, this idea that kids would use their money to rent books from yeah. a bookstore. Yeah, and sit there for hours. You, uh, you, you, could, you could open a business renting books to kids. <laughs> <laughs> In America, no. It's, it's no, amazing. No, no. Uh, it's a nightmare. I think we have one bookstore left in my, my city back in uh, Indiana. It's uh, 1,001 books or something like that. Uh, and I went back a few years ago, and the traditional uh, DC Marvel comic books are, they can, you know, just one row. And yeah. the Japanese manga are five or six rows of these in English, of course. Yeah. And there are people, I mean, unbelievable. They're, they're eating up this manga-style uh, uh, storytelling. Uh, I don't know what it is about it, but it's uh, it's fascinating. Um, it's really well developed. The stories mm. are interesting. The, the artwork long. is different. Yeah, yeah. And the, the stories continue for a long time. And, and they're not color. They're black and white, yeah. which is even stranger. Uh, you know, we expect color in our comic books in America. Uh, but yeah, so there's something about Asian uh, style uh, storytelling. Yeah, they have ghosts, a lot of ghosts. What is that? You're a sociologist. What the hell? Uh, ghosts everywhere, every year. Uh, you know, everyone's afraid of ghosts. Uh, well, well the, the development into modern society here has been happening for a shorter period of time. Hmm. So uh, pre, 
uh, agricultural society, village society, is still the memory of that is still very much alive. I see. Okay. Uh, you, you'll find lots of people still alive who who grew up in subsistence farming villages in, in right. rural Taiwan or Japan or China, mm. and uh, so that that kind of memory is still alive. Right. Very the tradition. Much. Yeah. Yeah. So so the the ghost stories are are much better. They're much more alive. Yeah. I I uh, I really you know. I used to tell ghost stories to my children and, and when they were little, and they would come back with a better one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so you're, you're seeing a Asian horror sweeping the world. Yeah, now. Asian horror. Be- because uh, it's, it's just better. Yeah. Yeah, I came across uh, some magazines recently. Uh, in a, we have a lot of Malaysians and Indonesians here. Yeah. And uh, I think it was an Indonesian horror magazine uh, and it's being sold in an Indonesian uh, grocery store. And I thought, uh, wow, this is about yeah. the only magazine they have for sale for, yeah. for, for some reason. Um, yeah, they, they, they seem to ha- enjoy the supernatural, supernatural being uh, scary, ghosts, witches, uh, they have a story about uh, a little girl that rides, walks around in the woods with a red hood. It sounds like Little Red Riding Hood from um, the West. And they have video of her even on YouTube where she's walking behind some hikers uh, here. Uh, but uh, so, uh, so that's fascinating stuff. So you, you started teaching before. Before you got your PhD, I yeah, believe yes. in the at this at this university, yes, uh, and and so you transitioned from a non-tenure position to tenure. Well, I, I had tenure before I, I got my PhD. I was I was hired with tenure. Okay, which, which wasn't it unusual at that time, but that mm. that was uh, almost twenty-five years ago. Wow, yeah, um, those were. Uh, I thought that you had. Back then, you had to have a master's degree, I believe, right? Well, uh, well you still do that. That's the absolute minimum. That's the minimum, yeah. right? In America, they would never hire you with just a master's. Well, you probably uh, won't get hired anymore. But at all, you know. These days, uh, any, any sort of university. Yeah. Ivy Tech, maybe, a community college, maybe, something like that. There, or, there are a lot of people with PhDs right now right. in teaching experience. Yeah, I've heard that uh, in the U.S., uh, some of these uh, universities are abusing this, uh, okay paying low salaries for PhDs, and people are literally sleeping in their cars, yeah. apparently. Uh, it's shocking. Um, and driving from one campus to another over the years to find work and hope for tenure. Um, that's, I don't know if it's true, but I hear these stories. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that, that wouldn't be unusual in, in the U.S. or Canada where people have to change jobs all the time or uh, juggle several jobs. Right. Teaching university or college. Right. Is it still cheaper in Canada to go to school than it is in the U.S.? Or? Uh, it, it depends. I mean, you, you can get uh, affordable education in the U.S. Uh, there are state schools in the U.S. that aren't uh, brutally expensive mm. if you're a resident. Right. State resident, right? Yeah. Yes. That's something that me and my wife talk about all the time, whether or not we should get them. Um, they are U.S. citizens, but we have to get them state residency at some point yeah. so that if they choose to go to colleges. One of the things I wanted to ask you is that there was there has been a lot of debate. You know, when you and I were young men, young kids, whatever, we didn't have a library. Uh, at least I didn't have a library close by. We didn't certainly didn't have the Internet. How did you learn about Shakespeare, how did you learn about any of these interesting subjects? Well, my my father was a, a school teacher. Oh, you had this great benefit. Yeah, oh my so gosh, we, we had a lot of books at home. 
Oh my gosh, that that's a plus. Now I didn't have anything, uh, so I ended up um, kind of waiting till college before I really okay. dived into uh, things that I I thought, wow, Shakespeare's amazing. I had no idea, you know, reading the Greek tragedies. Wow, you know. But to, yeah, I, what I'm trying to get to, I think, is that there's some arguments today that. You know, you can learn all about Shakespeare and Greek philosophy on the Internet. Yeah. Do we really need to go to college to—I to, cool. mean, this is a dangerous subject, for, you know. Uh, unless, you know, you're teaching English, and you have to be there, and you have to communicate, and you have to engage people. But if you want to learn about Shakespeare or philosophy or even computer programming, a lot of time when these kids I see at these these conferences on hacker, hacking, the HitCon, Hackers in Taiwan conference, you know, they're 13 and they're, they're doing coding. Uh, they don't have to go to college. Um, they have uh, people there at HitCon that are recruiting from uh, all these, Microsoft and all these people of kids that are 16, 17, 18 years old. Uh, so what I'm, what I'm worried about is, is the university system, the idea of what a university is, is that going to die off or slow down or? Well, there's two questions in there. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, yes, d- definitely uh, universities have to change. Mm. Am I worried about this? No, not at all. I, I, well, think, I think this is great. Mm. To challenge universities to change their system? Uh, the, the internet is a challenge to them? I, I think this is an opportunity for instruction to grow mm. and uh uh, change with society and, and meet a, meet a new challenge for the future and uh, I, I embrace it. I I, I love this. Mm. Uh, yeah, I do too. Actually, yeah. I wish if I had had the internet when I was yeah. that age, I I don't know where I would be in the world, but I I think I would be a lot, of course, more knowledgeable, but maybe doing a different kind of work than I that I've been doing. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I, I I see kids today teaching themselves. All kinds of technical skills, like like you're talking about mm. with, with computer hackers. Um, I mean, the, the the implication of a hacker is it's a negative sort of no, thing. No, I see all there's kinds white of, white see, hackers, black I, hackers. If you uh, look on you on YouTube, you, you can see all kinds of instructional videos for everything, drawing mm. and and uh, yeah, making things and uh, mathematics skills. I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, my son is, uh, my oldest son is only 13, and he's studying Stoic philosophy. This is ancient Greek Roman Stoicism, which is something I didn't learn about till college. (laughs) And I still didn't really understand so much later later in life. (laughs) And I'm like, my God, he, he, uh, he wants to learn ancient Greek, and I, I bought him a book, and he, he reads it religiously every day, and I, I thought, my God, there's something going on here uh, about the YouTube videos he's watching. Well, so, so some people talk about this, uh, that the, the role of a, a teacher mm. is becoming different. So we, we've historically thought of teachers as being uh, the, the expert who comes into the class and tells you the facts that you need to master. Mm. But now, now teachers have to be uh, sort of a, a planner and, and orient you toward a body of knowledge that you can go learn yourself. Yeah, but do you need that person anymore when you can get on the Internet and cut through that so quickly? I mean, well, look, you were talking before in the other episode about jujitsu and all these interesting martial arts. Would people be that interested in if they didn't have YouTube and watch this stuff? Um, 
No. Yeah, see. It, it, but it's funny yeah. you should raise jujitsu because because that that's the kind of activity that you think of as as you, you need partners to, to yes, learn from. But yes. you don't need teachers anymore because that you can go to the internet and learn technique. And there are clubs that run themselves off of internet technique. Right. And my understanding is some of them are quite competitive. Yeah. <laughs> so if you uh, reapply that to maybe something else, some some other subject area, then yeah, you have a real problem. The 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 idea of being a mentor, you know, the uh, the archetype mentor of Obi Wan Kenobi and yeah. Luke Skywalker, or you know, uh, these replay themselves in different movie sets. I never really felt when I was in university, I had a mentor. I had a a professor who uh, had fifty kids in the class and didn't really care one way or another if he could remember our names, even let alone. So could universities readapt to a mentorship sort of relationship or? Well, they've got no choice if they want to survive. Right, right. So, of course, there's abuse in that system as well. Uh, people uh, later accuse professors of all kinds of behavior and then they get fired. There's no evidence. Um, do you think that cameras, uh, video cameras, should be in classrooms and professors, uh, that sort of world? Uh, or is that to is does that sort of censor self censor the professor? You know, self censorship means I'm not going to tell you the truth about the world that I know exists beyond the walls of this room because I might get into prob a trouble. I might be canceled. We call it canceling in America, being fired, losing my job, losing my show, whatever. Um, that's a psychological thing that you might be able to answer. Well, I, I'm a senior professor with tenure right now, mm. and uh, so I, th these kinds of threats, any kind of threat doesn't really intimidate me very mm. much. Um, I, I don't mind people watching me. Mm. Okay. Uh, I, I've had lots of people. I, I've had uh, my, my neighbor, was she's doing a master's in TESOL. And, uh, she had to do a, in a what? Uh, teaching English as a second language. A TESOL. TESOL. Oh, okay. And at an Amer uh, American school, and she had to do a class observation. She came and watched me teach. Hmm. I, I, I've had lots of people come and watch me teach. Great, all right. But but I'm quite confident in in my ability and in my my teaching. So the the idea that somebody would be watching me to make sure wouldn't that I, wouldn't change your your style or the way you communicate. No, not at all. All right. No, yeah. I, I don't know how I'd feel if if I was a junior professor or. Uh, yeah, that would be a fear factor. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm interested in these things because they're cropping up as we become more computer advanced. We have, we seem to be tracked on the internet every time we get on Google and type in a word. You know, let's say we type in, um, you know, I'm 61. I type in something about health, and all of a sudden, I'm getting advertisements on. <laughs> yeah. On diabetes yeah. and, and health eye care and yeah. uh, hearing aids and uh, so yeah, there's sort of <laughs> so I'm, I'm becoming conscious of the fact that I'm, I'm there's an algorithm we call it a computer algorithm that knows that I'm a certain age and I'm I'm uh, you know becoming worried about my health or I am interested in my child's uh, welfare in the future and things yeah. like that so. Um, so, you know, yeah, uh, people think that's an, what we call invasion of privacy yeah. issue. So that's, th is that a concern for you as well? Um, 
For me personally, not well, for not anybody, so much. do you think that the, the the it's not even the government anymore? It's a corporation, Microsoft or whomever got has your data. Um, I when I you know once again when I was younger, I might have been more concerned about sure. that than I am now. It, it's it's not something I I worry about. Uh, going into my old age. Oh, and, yes. Uh, yes. All, all the bad stories are out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, we all have uh, uh, what we call demons uh, in our lives. That's a psychological phrase that you might hear from uh, Carl Jung, yeah. which you studied. Who do you like more, Carl Jung or Sigmund Freud? Oh, Carl Jung or Sigmund Freud. That's a tough one. I, I've read a lot of Freud. Have you? Uh, yeah, he, all he, right. he, he writes very well. He does. So yes. I, I, uh, I mean, in terms of theory, that that's not the direction that I, I've been working in. But uh, in terms of reading it, yeah, Freud, Freud reads really well. Mm. I would recommend as literature. I would recommend Freud. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we always talk about the Freudian slip, was a slip of the tongue, yeah. where um, I've had the same experience where I've called my my girlfriend uh, an old girlfriend's name by accident yeah. and. Uh, that day is ruined. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the the idea that we uh, have a subconscious or unconscious self that is actually in charge of our lives, we, we, we don't like the idea of what we call a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah. That's where there's two personalities in you. One is a good guy and the other guy is uh, not so good. And they come out sometimes and fight. Um, so that's why we're talking about the demons that we try to control in our lives, uh, the dark the dark sides. Um, but uh, I think Carl Jung is, is fascinating, the dark side stuff, the uh, archetype imagery, uh, the hero narrative, I guess. Um, is that, do you think that's a, a reasonable uh, thing to teach young people about their lives, how to see the worldview in terms of being a uh, hero, you know, the rise and fall and rise again of the hero idea? Well, yeah, Young's very popular these days uh, because of his suggestions about archetypes and like ma ma uh, major uh, uh, images that, that have... Uh, Part part of our human identity, yeah, like, like heroes. Al millions of years, uh, yeah. you know. I, I I have a friend who's a uh, in Canada who's a published author, and he he was I hadn't seen him for many years, and he he and I went out for dinner, and he he was telling me that he he thought to today was the uh, it, it was an age when great stories could make a difference, mm. and and I remember at the time I thought. Eh, that would, that's ridiculous. Um, we, we're, we're, we're past that age. We're, we're in an age of the internet and, mm. and mass media and uh, ma major major film productions. But the more I thought of it, and, and the more I talked to him about it, the more convinced I, I uh, the more I changed my mind. I, I can say, and I can't say I'm convinced a a as he is, but I, I think that's a really interesting suggestion that there there are a lot of people who uh, uh, are lost in a way that they have, yes. haven't been in the past. In the modern world, well, yes. We talked about that in our last episode mm. where uh, about mass psychology. Mm. And and people don't live in the kind of world that, that we evolved to live in, in human history. Yeah, we're not fighting, uh, we're not killing saber-toothed tigers anymore and protecting our children from tribes uh nearby uh and, so and the myth the stories well and so stories stories 
new stories that we can make mm. can give our lives meaning and yeah. give us direction in, 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 in a way that our, our families and, and, and uh, our, our neighbors used to. Do they have that same sort of rise and fall and rise hero uh, story in, in, this, in this culture, Asian culture? Do they have that? The, do they have the samurai who falls and rises again? I know that they had the, um, the, uh, the samurai story where their master was betrayed and then they came back. That was called Ronin, right? Yeah. That's sort of a rise and fall and rise again story, isn't it? Uh, or do they not encourage that kind of story here? Um, well, um, I, I, I think about this a, a little bit differently. Like, like a, a, an understanding of uh, uh, Asian history in, in Western terms isn't, isn't as well developed. So it's harder to talk about uh, the, the themes of Asian society in the same way we talk about themes in Western society. So, so there are themes like the hero. Mm. Um, and, and there are there are these Western themes that occur in Asian society, but the themes that we see here are that are going into modern society are only now starting to be developed. So that that when when we were talking about horror in Asian society, right. that's part of it. There there are these historically important ideas that are becoming modernized. Mm. Uh, ghosts might might be one way of thinking about that. Definitely witches as well. So there are these older Local. images, but they haven't mm. become fully modernized right. yet because uh, maybe in, like in Taiwan, you've only really had one or two generations of Taiwanese living living in a fully modernized society. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. My wife uh, claims that she's not superstitious, but at the same time, you know, when it came time to have a baby, uh, she went to the temple and prayed to the baby god. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I like, oh, well, you know, what is this about? And then, and then of course, she's supposed to be modern. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yet she spent money to, when my son was a baby, two or three, he couldn't sleep uh, for a few weeks very well. He's crying all night. So my wife takes him down to the temple and they have what we call an exorcism where the nuns exercise get the demons out of my baby my child my son and for me that was a uh, for me an exorcism in america it would be something very radical uh something that you see in the movies that yeah. you wouldn't sleep that night over yeah. uh, but here it was like uh you know uh 3000 nt yeah. and they would say some prayers and and uh i thought Oh, I was like treating it like it was going to like, should I wear a suit and tie? Should I, should I take pictures? Should I <laughs> send invitation cards to people like at a birthday party? What, what, what is an exorcism in Taiwan? So there is this strange uh, connection with the past that's rel relatively recent, right? Yeah. And, and, and how that's going to evolve into some uh, form in, in uh, Taiwanese pop culture, for example, Taiwanese modern uh, identity, mm. it's not really well formed yet. The ghost in the machine is yeah. a classic example. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. something that might res well come out. Uh, the West is really into the resurrection, the rebirth, you know, the, the birth, the death, and the rebirth of the hero narrative from Jesus, of course, to a football player player who who no longer can kick the ball and all of a sudden he wins the big championship these these recurrent themes yes. 
but here is slightly different. They don't fight dragons, though. Do, and, and their dragons here are very different kinds of monsters, right? Do, do they fight monsters in this culture and and destroy the monster? And, you know, in, in the West, it was you know you drink you 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 would eat the dragon's heart or the lion's heart, and you would be called Lionheart afterwards. You absorb something of the monster into yourself. Is that a theme here at all? Well, um, well, well there are monsters in, in, in Asian society. But do they, they, do they kill them? Do they destroy them? How do they cope? How do they integrate that monster, which is really themselves, that, that monster into their own uh, consciousness to become a full-fledged adult? That's the idea of becoming an adult. You have to kill the dragon, the monster inside yourself, absorb that part of yourself. And maybe this is too deep. Uh, to talk about, but I think it's fascinating. Well, well, that that that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is it could be real, a physical dragon. Yeah, what if it's real? Mm. Then, then it's not just a reflection of yourself. Mm. If, if the ghosts are real, mm. when when your when your wife took your son down to the uh, the exorcism, the exercise, right? Maybe, Were they real demons? That was, <laughs> yeah, and, and we've lost that in the West, and that might be one of the sources mm. of a social the social problems that plague our society. We no longer really believe there were demons, but if let's say we really did believe, how would, oh my gosh, you know, you think <laughs> about it, yeah. Because, yeah, um, because the, the, the nuns at the, the temple, when my son was going through his exorcism, um, they said, run to the taxi because the demons are waiting outside. So my wife's running to the taxi. Now, I don't speak Chinese very well, and I have no idea why my wife is running with a baby out the door you know, and grabbing a taxi. And then we get in a taxi, and I'm out of breath. I'm like, well, you know, what is going on? You know, she says, they're waiting outside. And the, who is that? You know, the demons. I go, we don't believe in demons. But then again, what, what if... We did believe in these things. My, my students often asks me, ask me if I believe in ghosts. And, and what, what I tell them is, I, I don't know if ghosts are real or not. I, I don't think they have any power over me. That's a reasonable, it's a reasonable um, thing. Yeah, of course. Uh, but do they believe it? That's the student. That's a Taiwan student, right? Yeah. Well, Educated, very, you know, in college now. Their, their math skills are incredible, their yeah. sense of logic, and yet maybe they believe in ghosts? I, I talked to a young woman who uh, was just finishing up a master's in, in engineering, mm. and um, I talked to her. Uh, I was saying, you know, some Taiwanese people believe that there, there's an, another world of, of entities that interacts with us but doesn't live with us, and we we can ask them for favors, and they can, they can ask us for favors. And she says, yes, yes, I believe that too. It, would this be science fiction style, uh, what you call um, fourth dimension or third dimension? Or, or we're in the third dimension, are we? Okay. <laughs> I have to check with everybody around me. <laughs> well, we live in a three-dimensional world. Yeah. yeah, so some people say that there's a fourth dimension yeah. where these, where sometimes we interact with these, this other world and we don't realize it. Um, but I, I, 
I want to live in my dimension. I really don't want to hear about this, <laughs> this yeah. other dimension. Yeah. I don't know if this is so much different than than Christians talking about angels or yeah, uh, yeah, all sorts of a- and then later it's aliens from another planet or well, something like or that. or maybe these are all just different words for the same things that we we don't really understand very well. So these are modern these are modern adaptations for old ideas from angels to aliens. Uh, then psychologists come in and say these are archetypes maybe for something that we want and or need in our lives, a mentor, a hero. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the one, one of my favorite uh, archetypes, uh, of course, is the femme fatale. The, uh, that's French for femme, female, fatale means fatal, dangerous. So a dangerous female in every movie is the woman that is beautiful yet dangerous, mysterious. Uh, so every man must deal with that in uh, these hero stories. Uh, so there are all kinds of archetypes, right? Uh, so the ghost archetype is another one, right? Okay, sorry, Dorothy. You know, I'd like to talk about ghosts and all this for hours, but unfortunately we can't, Scott. Thank you so much for coming. Well, it's been great to talk to you again. Yeah, uh, I hope that you can come back to Fantastic Formosa, and uh, wow, a lot of fun today. Thank you. Well, it's been great talking to you. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.